0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and today, the movies. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Jeffrey Bloomer. I'm Slate's features director.
1: And me, Nicole Perkins, just a writer and general podcast host just out there in the world.
0: Just a writer and podcast host, one of my favorites. (laughs) We are gathered here today to discuss a topic near and dear to my heart. And I gather to yours too, Nicole, the erotic thriller It's a man and a woman. Usually it is a man and a woman. They have very hot sex, borderline dangerous sex, (laughs) usually. Probably a lot of it. And then, you know, somebody has to die. Maybe the woman loses it. Maybe the scorned husband finds out and goes after the new guy. These movies are called things like Body of Evidence and Basic Instinct and Never Talk to Strangers. Um, They vary wildly in quality. Um, And that last one, Rebecca de Mornay eats Antonio Baderes' butt very, like, against a cage very dramatically. It is one of the great bad movies of the 90s. Um, I remember watching it at that time when I was a teenager and being like, I didn't even know that was an option. Uh, <laughs> so you really, can really learn things from these films. Nicole, t- tell me about your relationship with these movies, good and bad. What, are you, what do you think of them?
1: I love erratic thrillers. I just, I just absolutely adore them. Uh, first of all, I am a big fan of film noir, right? Just give me a mystery, some quick wit, banter, a man with a jawline cut from the Grand Canyon, a femme fatale, and then enough sexual tension to break a Top Chef's knife. I just, I just want it all. And I think erotic thrillers are just modernized versions of film noir. Directors could start adding nudity into the mix and then just went all out, um, mainly women's nudity. So it's just more a lot of boobs um, and butt. But still, they, they got really excited about that. Um, and then secondly, I love a movie that is so bad, it's good. And there are plenty of great erotic thrillers. I don't really want to disparage the whole genre, but some of them are super, super cheesy that you have to laugh at yourself even while you're watching it. It's just like, why am I watching this shit? And then you just keep going. If it's that bad, that it's good. I'm there for it. I also read a lot of genre fiction, especially romances and mysteries. And an erotic thriller is a way for me to have all of my itches scratched except the romance part in an erotic thriller is more like just fast forwarding straight to the hot and steamy parts it's just getting straight to the sex but i've noticed that erotic thrillers they're trying to make a little comeback there's been an appreciation for them a lot lately so i'm here for all of that
0: yeah you're right we're currently in this sort of weirdly big moment for them they don't even make them quite at the clip they used to But lately, there's just been a big groundswell of sort of um, cultural attention to them. New York Magazine had a whole week devoted to erotic thrillers. The podcast, You Must Remember This, had a whole season dedicated to the erotic thrillers of the 80s. Soon there will be one dedicated to the erotic thrillers of the 90s, my personal favorite. Netflix has been releasing these. There's the one where um, Charlotte from Sex and the City falls in love with her female babysitter. Uh, They're real bad on Netflix, but they always jump to number one. And then... (laughs) There's uh, recently, I think the, one of the flashpoints in this whole moment was the Ben Affleck and a DeMoss uh, movie, Deep Water, which kind of ended up going straight to Hulu, but still managed to make a splash. Um, and we will talk about that movie. But it's sort of an interesting moment for these movies to be reentering the zeitgeist. Um, as much as we love them, they are also not great in some ways, if you actually stop to think about what they're sort of depicting and what sort of the underlying message of these movies is. And on this podcast, we uh, talk about things like this. So we're going to do that today. We're going to talk about why we love these movies, why it might be questionable to do so in some cases, and maybe talk about how we can look past what's actually going on in these movies and enjoy them anyway. So please join us. Michael Douglas just saw Sharon Stone in a sequin dress for the first time, and it's about to go down.
1: Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show so far and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too. We've recently been talking about medications for depression and anxiety, Jane Austen, and the streaming wars.
0: All right, Nicole, I'm going to read you a quote. Uh, This is not a nice quote. It is unearthed from an old magazine profile by the New York magazine writer Alison P. Davis as part of that week I mentioned She uh, found this quote in a piece from a certain someone describing working women in the 1980s. Here I go. They are sort of overcompensating for not being men. It's sad, you know, because it kind of doesn't work. You hear feminists talk and in the last 10, 20 years, you hear women talking about fucking men rather than being fucked, to be crass about it. It's kind of unattractive, however liberated and emancipated it is. There's a little bit more, I'm sorry. It kind of fights the whole wife role. The whole childbearing role. Sure, you got your career and your success, but you were not fulfilled as a woman. My wife has never worked. She's the least ambitious person I've ever met. She's a terrific wife. She hasn't the slightest interest in doing a career. She kind of lives with me and it's a terrific feeling. I come home and she's there. Oh my God. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> I have to thank Alison again for finding that because I did know work, but it is, it helpfully encapsulates um, some of what we're talking about here because these are the words of Adrian Lynn, who is sort of the patron saint of erotic thrillers. You know, this is the guy behind Fatal Attraction, Nine and a Half Weeks, which is a particular favorite of mine, Unfaithful, and also Deep Water, which we just mentioned, um, which is his first movie after a 20-year hiatus. Um, And I think in some ways these sum up the ideologies of these movies. They're often about women either sort of dangerously intoxicated by sex until they become knife-wielding lunatics, or their husbands have to be killed to assert their manhood after they, like, leave them for younger men. And it's all basically about the dangers of leaving domestic space. um, Sort of the messages. they'd be better if they never left home. It's, you know, pretty conservative view of sex roles and gender and many other things, especially of sexuality and the dangers of women exploring theirs. But as we've already said, we love these movies. And in talking before the show, you told me that you've worked hard to remove the guilt from the guilty pleasure aspect of this. So, why do you think that these movies speak to us despite all of this, despite Adrian Lin's views evident on the screen during these movies, and why are we willing to ignore that part of it?
1: My thoughts about guilty pleasures have evolved over the years. Um, I think it's very much a Christianity-based or maybe a religion-based idea that has been baked into society at large that... When we find pleasure in something, we have to balance it out with some kind of punishment, right? Like, oh, this cake is so good. This is delicious. This is the most delicious cake I've ever had in my life. I'm going to have to run 100 miles to work it off. Why? (laughs) Why do you need to erase the joy of that slice of cake by hurting yourself? Why do we have to be ashamed that we like a movie with sex in it or a movie with a bad dialogue, the heart wants what what it wants. (laughs) And I think that we enjoy erotic thrillers because we're all creatures of flesh and porn has such a stigma attached to it still so that I guess we feel better about ourselves if we just, you know, turn on something with an R rating, right? And then we have a legitimate director with a story that's a little bit more complicated than like, oh, the pizza delivery guy is here and he's cute. And packing, you know. <laughs> so it's like we have to find less shameful ways of getting getting our rocks off. Fatal Attraction, nine and a half weeks, and Unfaithful. Unfaithful is my favorite movie of out of all of these. Uh, is about a married woman. Um, she's got a son. She is planning her son's birthday party, and she runs into this French bookseller, um, and that encounter changes. <laughs> changes her life (laughs) nine and a half weeks came out in 1986 and it is about this wall street guy and an art gallery employee who meet and go through this tumultuous nine and a half weeks of a relationship where they just keep escalating their sexual activities to the point of madness they were game changers uh, in the many different ways. And I remember watching Nine and a Half Weeks when I was a kid on cable and just wondering, how was this allowed on television? What are they doing? This is so nasty. And I kept watching it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, these types of movies have sex scenes that have changed lives and changed the way we talk about sex. But ultimately, you're right. They still rely on this idea that... Women who find their own pleasure destroy the fabric of their lives, right? So it's like women's sexual agency, sexual exploration, and sexual satisfaction all lead to obsession, mental anguish, even murder. So it's just like, you know... Yes, it looks really hot to get fucked at work. It looks great to incorporate food play in your sex life or to get banged out in a cafe bathroom, but you are going to destroy your whole world if you do this. We ignore the bad parts of it. We ignore that message of women's pleasure leads to destruction because, you know, some of us are just horny, man. And it's just like these movies do have some subtext that is not just, Sexy women lead to death and mayhem. Some of these movies, I think the good ones are about the dangers of routine and suppression. Um, so, you know, when you deny yourselves, it, it results in something terrible. So it's like putting the lid on the boiling bunny in the pot will just make a bigger mess.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, we could do several podcasts about Fatal Attraction alone. Um, but I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, especially if you think about Unfaithful. Even as a gay man, there's five minutes of that movie when Diane Lane is, like, on, uh, I think she's on the Metro North leaving New York City after she's first slept with her French beau, who's not Richard Gere. And it's just, like, these. she's just, like, shaking in these flashbacks and remembering on the train. <laughs>
2: What? What's wrong? I can't, I don't know how to do this. This is wrong. Hit me. What? Hit me. Hit me.
0: And like, even if it is Adrian Lin putting forward this like really fucked up, View of what domestic roles should be. Ultimately, that's what he's doing in that movie, I guess. But that movie really centers her, and there's a reason she got nominated for an Academy Award for that. She's just just absolutely coursing with sexuality in that scene, and it really is it foregrounds her experience in a way that, like, yes, Richard Gere ends up killing the man that she has an affair with, but in that moment, you're you're seeing something much different and experiencing something much different. Um, And I don't think it necessarily totally detracts from that, that the movie goes off the rails and she ultimately finds it hot that Richard Gere wants to kill for her.
1: So at that time, it was still a bit rare to see um, a woman who was 35 and older considered a sexual being in a good way or to see that she has desires. And that train scene was incredible because you get to see the way the memories play over her physically um, and just, you know, her emotional response to them as well. And then like the regret setting in and the way that she comes alive with this passion that was, you know, that had gone stale in her marriage. And I think that's very important for a lot of people to see that, like, you know, it's fine to be comfortable and to have a, a good relationship in your marriage that you're just like, Everything is very calm and safe and expected, but there are times when you need to shake things up inside um, because it's possible that someone from the outside is gonna come in and ruin everything.
0: So often also, just like in mainstream American movies, they are, the sex is pretty muted or it's like comic or it's sort of truncated. And these movies at least center it in a way that, like, it's honest about what people want to see and experience while watching a movie. And some of these come pretty close to porn, frankly, these days. I mean, the Fifty Shades movies, you know, we don't need to go into that shit, but, like, a lot of them are, like, really, they've gotten more and more graphic over um, time, and I think it's probably, I think, a positive development that that kind of sex can exist on screen. There's also been a lot written lately about how it's sort of retreated. Sex in movies isn't hot anymore, and there's all kinds of long sort of analysis that ties it to me too, among other things and reasons why we can't look at this stuff anymore. And I think it maybe makes you nostalgic for the moment where Sharon Stone is like, you know, just like, having sex with a man and a woman in a bathroom stall while doing Coke. Like there is something kind of magical about that and liberating, you know,
1: we see some of that in um, the film trilogy, 365 days that's on Netflix. Uh, 365 days is the start of a film trilogy. That is about this mafia dude who kidnaps a woman and tells her she has 365 days to fall in love with him. And, boy, is it a ride. They're just like, here's a sex scene and then we're gonna give you maybe three lines of dialogue and then the sex scene and then here's a little like, they're doing some crime mafia things, here's a sex scene. You know, like they're just very much like, you're just here to see these hot people go at it. If
2: you feel like running, you should wear a different kind of shoes. Sometimes fighting is futile. You have to accept the situation. The faster, the better for you. Can either make it hard for both of us for the next year or take part in an adventure that Faith has given you.
0: It wasn't Faith. It was you.
1: It's just great, but it's also terrible because, you know, the acting is not great. The script is not great, but the sex scenes... I mean, they are what they are, but they are a, there are a lot of them. The second one, it is literally three minutes into the movie when we get our first sex scene.
0: It tells you what you need to know a little bit about these and that they're just they're extremely exaggerated versions of courtship and gender performance and all of this. And it, it makes it easy to not think too much about it when it's just the hot people having sex all the time.
1: It's pure escapism in a lot of ways. I read a lot of romance and there is a subgenre called dark romance where they have things like kidnappings where, you know, like the motorcycle chief or whatever kidnaps a woman and makes her his sex slave. And she has to be used by all of the members of the motorcycle gang in order to be like initiated or prove herself or something like that. You know, there's things like that. And then there are like age gap uh, relationships and um kind of situations where like, oh, my ex-boyfriend dumped me, so I'm going to fuck his dad and fall in love with his dad. <laughs> like those are all part of dark romance and including really heavy BDSM elements and things like that. And so I think part of why a lot of people, while um, especially a lot of women turn to them is because, you know, we're making we're making a lot of decisions every day. And sometimes it feels good when there's somebody who just takes a decision off of your plate. And I, you know, people are like, why Why would a housewife want to read this? Why would a, a lawyer want to read something like this? Why would a CEO want to read something where a woman is being subjected to all of this kind of trauma and violence, sexual violence? And it's just like, well, they can't have this in their real life, right? They can't uh, admit to having, consensual non-consensual fantasies and things like that so they turn to these books and we turn to these erotic thrillers to get to you know get off basically and to have this little fantasy life that's safe and you know no one will judge us for having them as opposed to just watching them
0: yeah you're making me realize that i probably just need to log out this podcast and watch the entire 365 days trilogy for the rest of the day (laughs) because my goodness do those movies sound like something And I think that giving ourselves permission to like these things, despite having eyes and brains and knowing what's going on in them is uh, probably a healthy and kind thing we can do for ourselves. We're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Nicole and myself about another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist?, where today we're debating whether taking your husband's last name is feminist. A Washington Post column has stirred new questions about it, so please join us for that.
1: And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money, and of course, this one. To learn more, go to slate.com thewavesplus
2: But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets.
0: So we've established we like these movies, warts and all, and we don't need to explain why anymore. But let's talk about sort of where these movies are now um, and the moment that we're in that seems to be trying to bring them back. Certainly there's a nostalgic enthusiasm for them that many are hoping are, is harnessed into more movies. So let's talk about what the ones that are coming out now are and what we kind of, where we think the genre could go. We've mentioned a few times a movie called Deep Water.
2: Why are you the only man who wants to stay with me? I
3: don't know. Are you
0: do?
3: I do. That's good.
2: Mm. Why is mom so different around other people?
0: I think this is who she is. This was a new thriller that had Ben Affleck and Anna Dumas. It's based on an old Patricia Highsmith novel. The, the promise of it is deeply deranged. I will uh, let you say what that, that is, Nicole.
1: <laughs> Deep Water is about a husband and wife who have, I guess it's an one-sided open relationship. The wife has permission to go out and sleep with whomever she wants to um, as long as it's like, you know, open communication between her and her husband. But clearly the husband has a problem with the arrangement. And we see quite a few people die um, as a result of the wife's uh, liaisons.
0: Yeah. And this is also Adrian Lin, who um, the author of that wonderful quote earlier and the director of also Unfaithful and Fatal Attraction and among other movies. And uh, this movie, despite going straight to Hulu, was initially intended for theaters. Um, There's conspiracy theories out there that Jennifer Lopez killed it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when she got back with Ben Affleck, I believe that those are unsubstantiated, but, you know, it's fun to think about, given the premise of the movie. And it's, like, really not very good. The movie, it's, there There are some sexy parts. I mean, Anna D.M. Ross is, like, just, like, kind of electric on screen, and I'm a huge fan. But, like, Ben Affleck's really mopey in this. And even with, like, the hot guy from Euphoria being one of her affair partners, it's just... It doesn't scratch the itch, and I was wondering why do you think that that is nicole i we we talked before and you mentioned that you felt the same way. What do you think is uh wrong with it?
1: Yeah, I think we just don't have a clear reason why why they agree to this relationship why they um why they agree to um these boundaries uh, for their relationships because Ben Affleck. You know, in the language uh, of these things, he's a cuck, but he doesn't seem to enjoy it. He's very jealous. He's very possessive. Anna Diarmis, her character's name is Melinda, and Melinda just constantly throws her affairs in his face, trying to provoke him. And I guess she is trying to provoke him to be a man, in quotation marks. All their friends seem to know that Melinda is out there just handling her business. Um, She brings her conquests to their parties all the time. And Vic, who is Ben Affleck's character, he just seems to, like, take it all on the chin until he doesn't anymore. Um, And I just felt like there was really no explanation why.
0: And despite us saying that we're willing to turn our brains off for these movies, there is something so deeply retrograde about the way that these people go about acting out their, like, non-normative sexuality, I guess. Like, I just don't, it, it's hard to buy it in 2022 in a time when this, these are, like, rich people in New Orleans who live, like, a bohemian lifestyle. Like, there's no way that they are, like, living in this, like, 1970 domestic Version of this like scenario, like it just, I just like. First of all, there's just not enough sex. Also, there's just not enough fucking in this movie. But beyond that, like it's like, I don't know. I just find it hard to. It, it's where the sort of it runs into a wall because it's it is exploring something that's becoming more common and more understood. I think even in people who are not interested in cuckolding fantasies, but it, it it portrays it in such a retrograde and uh, regressive way that it just just. You know, it, a lot of men, it, it's like an exciting thing for them. And it obviously, in so- socially, we have a long way to go before cuckoldry is considered normal masculine behavior. But I think that we've come you know, far enough. And I don't know, the movie, I thought, just d- depicted it in such a way that was, like, boring. It could have been much more exciting.
1: I would have loved to have seen brought back Ben Affleck on his knees, just... <laughs> Doing some stuff that I'm just gonna redact for the rest of the the podcast episode. But because Adrian Lynn is so focused on like the woman being punished somehow or pointing the finger back to the woman in all of this stuff, we don't get to see submissive Vic. And that I think is a major missing, you know, point in this movie.
0: What do we want to see? Probably not more shitty Netflix movies. Like, what what do we think? Like, what do we think that where this genre could go and what it can do to make it feel just a scotch more contemporary, a little bit more like channeling what we want to see now?
1: Right. So for me, I would love to see more black-led erotic thrillers, more black couples. And we've had a sprinkling of them. So uh, back in 2003, Denzel Washington and Sanaa Lathan starred in a film called Out of Time. And I don't know how erotic it would be considered, but there there are elements of that. Um, Denzel plays a sheriff in a small town or something like that, like a small-town cop kind of person. And Sanaa, Sanaa Lathan's character is a woman who has been in an... An abusive relationship, and so he frequently like has to come to her house to save her, and it's great because it starts out where Sana is, she's called him like, I need you to come over. Something terrible has happened, and he gets there, and they start doing it, (laughs) and it's, (laughs) um, and then you find out that maybe her character is not everything, you know, we think it is, and so there is, you know, some drama and intrigue there. And Denzel Washington's ex-wife or ex-girlfriend is played by Eva Mendez. So, I mean, you've got like a really interesting um, (laughs) cast here. Uh, doing something that we don't really get to see that much. But I do recommend it because the sex scenes between Denzel Washington and Sanaa Lathan were so good that they sparked plenty of rumors that he was cheating on his wife. Um, I think Sanaa Lathan is very much interested in changing um, the faces we expect when it comes to things like thrillers and um, modern noir and things, you know, movies like that. And we don't really get to see... Black stars in these kinds of movies. And I'm not sure why beyond just flat-out racism um, and the lack of imagination in Hollywood, strangely enough, right? But I think for a while, Black actors maybe um, possibly stayed away because they were also trying to step away from stereotypes of Black people as being hypersexual and trying to be taken seriously. And I don't know, for some people... Parts that require nudity or sexual, sexual activity, they don't consider it to be um, Oscar worthy. And they're trying to like legitimize themselves um, as actors. So they kind of stay away from things like that or think that they're just not um, maybe they just don't want to do those things. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons, uh, again, beyond just like the flat out racist nature of Hollywood and not giving money to black led film and things like that. Hopefully we get to see more of these. Tyler Perry does have some thrillers, but he doesn't really do the erotic part so much. So we don't really get that much sex. Like there might be like some steamy kissing maybe, um, but you're not really going to get like uh, nudity or anything like that. I want to see and I know a lot of my friends want to see black people getting it on. On screen in very sexy, sensual ways, where they are not being exploited for the white gaze, basically, and that's what we need, and that's what I am looking forward to seeing more of. I just think, I just think that would be great.
0: Um, but out of time, it's worth noting that um, it's directed by Carl Franklin, who also made *Devil in a Blue Dress*, um, and so Denzel Washington is really an exception. He. I don't know if people obviously everybody knows that denzel washington is hot but like in the mid 90s denzel washington was like next level hot it's like unbelievable to if you definitely blue dress is sort of different um it's more of a straight noir which you were mentioning earlier a lot of these erotic thrillers are sort of spins on that but those are great movies that people should check out
1: and i, I want to tell one thing about uh denzel washington denzel washington he is not often allowed to be a sexual being on screen. Denzel Washington did not want to do sex scenes with women who were not black or of color um, because of like the headache it causes um, in his fan base and because of like a lot of different weird um, Hollywood machinations um, that make people think No one's going to come see this black actor if he's with another black actor. So we have to put a white person in and the white person needs to be the love interest. Um, And so that gets into this whole area of like where black people are not allowed to really love on each other in Hollywood a lot of times. Unless it's a very specific type of of film. Um, So that was part of like. The appeal of something like Out of Time or Devil in a Blue Dress, because De- um, in Devil in a Blue Dress, Denzel also has a sex scene that is very funny, but also still really hot. Um, so th- these are like these rare moments that we get to see Denzel be a sexual um, character on screen, and I think that that is uh, also. I think that's also worth noting there. So if anybody wants to see Denzel getting it on, those are two really good movies to check out.
0: You're <laughs> <laughs> here, here to that. Um, and I remember reading something similar. He's had a long career. And unfortunately, um, especially 30 years ago, uh, that was absolutely something that was on the minds of studio executives about what they imagined that people wanted to see and what they would tolerate and what they wouldn't. I sort of on, from my end, just like growing up watching these movies and most of the gay characters in these movies are either, like, sort of, like, exaggerated stereotypes in the background that are involved with, like, you know, they're certainly not having any sex. Or you get a movie like Cruising, which is, like, a William Friedkin movie from the early 80s in which a killer dressed in leather goes to, like, leather clubs in Hell's Kitchen in, like, the 70s and just... There's actual gay sex in that movie, but it is followed by, uh, you know, people being stabbed very violently, um, often during the act. Um... And that movie, of course, got tons of protests Um, at the time. I think it's now sort of, you know, it's like such a curiosity and it's inside these clubs that don't exist. So I think that gays have sort of calmed down about that. Um, But it is even I watched it recently and it is unpleasant. It's like I don't I don't want to see those things linked so closely. Um, You know, a really good contemporary example, though, that I was thinking about is a movie called Stranger by the Lake. It's a French movie. It's a little bit arty, but it is a movie that is about a killer who is stalking cruising grounds on a beach. But it's like really hot at the same time. It's like you know you're taking a risk, but like this guy still pursues him anyway. And it because it did like the festival circuit, it was like playing at the Lincoln Center and like there's all these people, you know, with their season tickets to the Lincoln Center showing up to this movie and there're just like dicks everywhere on screen. <laughs> and it's just like this like unapologetic gay sex. And it shows that I think that there is a way to depict that kind of stuff without making it totally pathologized. Um, it doesn't have to be like totally fearful. Like that movie is genuinely erotic, but doesn't necessarily link every single time that someone has sex with that violence. And I think having more movies like that, I think, um, you know, I envy the current generation that they get to have a little bit more of a pure experience like that without having to deal with the cruising shit, even though cruising these days... Um, If you like these kind of movies, it's worth watching, but oh boy, is it brutal. Well, I think that uh, we have given Hollywood a very clear blueprint for what we want and what we need. Um, And I I think um, it definitely involves more erotic thrillers and perhaps more erotic thrillers that make up for some of the more um, egregious uh, misfires of the past. (laughs)
1: You know, give us some more diverse castings um, for the erotic thriller. I think that's what we're really hungry for and keep the sex, you know, hot, but also safe for the actors. Yeah, make sure the chemistry is there. I think that is... Another reason that the erotic thriller has kind of fallen off in the same way that rom-coms have fallen off It's not enough to put two pretty people together. They need to have, like, a vibe between them. They ne- it needs to feel like you want to watch it and not just, like, turn your head away. Yeah, give us some diversity and chemistry. That's what I'm looking for.
0: And let cucks be cucks. It's 2022. We know what cocks are. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth.
1: Shannon Paulus is our editorial director. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer of audio.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com.
1: The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place.